This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. You know, unless you've been living under a rock, the technician shortage is the hottest topic and challenge in our industry. From the Aftermarket Radio Network, it's Carm Capriato, and my guest Cecil Bullard from the Institute has a plan to solve the technician shortage. It involves a $20 increase in your labor rate, and how that money gets distributed sounds awfully good and maybe too good to be true, but you're the answer. I hope you're in. Keep listening to find out. Thanks to our partners, Apex and Shopware, for bringing you this episode. You know, imagine walking into a simulated real-world environment with 10 service bays, lifts, and vehicles where you can see product demos and talk capabilities, benefits, and how to use them in real time. Well, welcome to Joe's Garage at Apex 2022, November 1st through the 3rd in Las Vegas. To register, aapexshow.com slash register. It's happening real soon. Hey, why wait until the end of the month for your accountant to tell you how things turned out? With advanced analytics, you can compare any metric anytime, so you don't need to guess. It all happens with my friends and for you at shopware.com. Everybody honored to have my friend Cecil Bullard from the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. And you can find them on the web at weartheinstitute.com. Hi, Cecil. Howdy, howdy. So we're in this organization called CAMP, a bunch of coaches. I'm honored to be an associate member. And Cecil comes on a couple of months ago and says, I wrote this white paper. I'm passionate about how to fix and change the technician shortage. And we all sat in our bated breath and he kind of sent it to all of us and we all read it. And he gave us, a, if you will, a, an overview of it, right? We just said, oh my God, this is brilliant. How could we literally make this happen? What's, what kind of shoulder do we have to put into to make this happen? So you've been on a podcast binge talking to everybody that you possibly can. You're probably writing op-eds in magazines. There's, there's a movement going on here. And I may be the last person to finally get an interview with you, but I'm happy that we're doing this. Let's jump in this thing. You know, it's funny because, Carm, you and I have known each other quite a while. And certainly when you started doing podcasts, it caught my ear. And one of the problems I have with all of us, I think, in our industry, especially the coaches or camp is, you know, we talk about all of these issues and we do come up with solutions, but a lot of times we have that same conversation six months later and here's the solution again and six months later and nothing really happens. You know, I was thinking about this issue we have in our industry, which in my opinion is probably the greatest issue that we have, period. And that's the lack of qualified technicians, I think the lack of qualified people coming on board. And I was thinking, you know, how do we actually solve this problem? I see it as a, a multifaceted issue, but mostly I think it's a marketing issue. You know, parents today, when they think about where do I want my kids to, to go to school or what do I want my kids to become, mechanic or a technician is it's not on the list. It's not like it's number three on the list or, or number 10 on the list. It doesn't make the list. The problem is, is that parents and kids don't want to become quote unquote mechanics. It's the perception of the job is still a 1960s perception. And so it's a greasy job. It's a dirty job. You don't have to be quote unquote too bright to do it, etc. And it also doesn't pay well. So let's go back uh, 40 years ago now. I met this beautiful blonde 
green-eyed gal in, in church. And we dated and we got interested and she took me home to her parents. And uh, her parents are like, well, what do you do? I'm a mechanic. I fix cars. That's what I do. You could have heard a pin drop in the room. They, they were not impressed because if I wasn't a college graduate, then they didn't want me marrying their daughter. As young love would have it, uh, we didn't listen to her parents. We got married anyway. The funny thing is, is that back then, 40 years ago, I was probably making fifty to $60,000 a year as a mechanic turning wrenches. You know, I think uh, 40 years ago, the industry was different. I don't know if it was easier to make money back then as a technician or a mechanic or if it wasn't. But uh, I remember the good old days where, you know, you just had a lot of work and, you, you know, I'd rebuild three or four carburetors, throw in some freeze plugs, uh, rebuild some suspension and, and clock 15 hours that day and, and go home after a 10 hour day. And I got paid half of the labor rate. I don't even want to tell you what that was 40 years ago. Um, $20 an hour. 11. <laughs> but minimum wage was, it went from 250 to 255 kind of during that time frame. So to make, you know, 550 an hour, half of the labor rate was, um, it was a lot better than minimum wage. Hey, by the way, I need to interrupt you. Am I going to meet this green eyed lady in Orlando? Uh, no, you're not. All right. Too bad. Fortunately, she doesn't travel anymore. She's got some health issues and okay. it's making it so she can't follow me around. Next time you, you end up here in Utah, we'll, uh, we'll make sure you get introduced. I got to come to Utah sometime. Here is one of the most beautiful states. It is a very beautiful state. We really like it. Back to the thing. So the milk board has marketing. The uh, egg board has marketing. The dental association has marketing. McDonald's, as unappetizing as their food is and unhealthy as it is, they still sell billions of dollars worth of burgers and fries and Cokes, and they still have marketing. We don't, as, as the aftermarket, we've never been able to come together, I don't think on anything since I've been in the industry. So over 40 years, we have never really come together completely on anything. And we all know the problem. 250,000 shops, give or take whatever your number is, we're all independent. The independent, even some dealership groups that may have 35 brands can get together and have a focus in a great marketing piece and a great recruitment piece. But we are independent. And that means that we all do it differently. Yes. And we don't want someone else telling us how to do it. You know, there's ego involved. There's a lot of things involved there. And who knows? That's a, another topic for another podcast. So I'm thinking about even being a mechanic. I've been uh, running shops, I don't know, for the last 30 years and owning shops and, and et cetera. And I always, I've always thought we just don't make enough money either as a business or, or as a technician in the industry, not for what we do. You know, I, when I came in the industry 40 plus years ago, I spent $5,000 a year for the first 10 years I was in the industry on tools. My, my boss didn't pay for those. I mean, in a way, I guess my boss paid for them because my wages allowed me to do that. And as I have been in the industry my entire year and uh, until the last, I don't know, 13 or 14, I probably spent at least $5,000 on tools, even when I wasn't working on cars. You know, last 14 years or so, I've solely been a coach and a consultant, so I haven't spent that money. In fact, I put my tools away and my hands have healed up and I don't have any grease on them anymore. And, and that's all great. 
Back to the, the white paper. It really talks about kind of two major parts. Number one, since we aren't necessarily paid where we need to be, what if a majority of the shops in the United States and Canada raise their labor rate $20 an hour tomorrow? And uh, we just all basically said, you know, we're not paid enough. We can't pay enough to the people that work for us. We're going up 20 bucks an hour. You know, I don't know. What if 50% of the industry did it? I don't even want to spend that money as a business owner. I don't want the business owner to take a nickel of that 20 bucks. I want to take half of it and pay it out to technicians. Carm, if you're a brand new person getting into the industry and you think you want to work on cars, you might go to a trade school for a few years and uh, get some ASCs and get taught how to pull things apart, how hydraulics work and electricity and, you know, et cetera. And then you're going to come out in the industry. And today you might be offered a job for anywhere from, I don't know, $15 an hour in some parts of the country all the way up to maybe 25 in some other parts of the country. I don't know if I'm a 22-year-old young person coming out and wanting to, I don't know, travel a little bit, enjoy the world, have some money to take care of myself. I don't know how I do it on 20 bucks an hour after I pay taxes. Plus, you're going to ask me to buy tools and uh, invest in myself, and I'm going to have to have more education because what I learned at trade school, it didn't set me up. I need experience. Probably, I would tell you, based on my experience uh, running shops and working with new people, I think it took me two years to be a uh, a decent B-level technician once I had my hands on cars back in the day. And by the way, that's no computers. We're talking points and condensers and carburetors and plug wires and easy, simple stuff. I think that in about Somewhere between the four and five year mark, I became an A-level technician. Again, we're not talking about computer systems. First time I saw a real computer on a car was 1982. You had one computer. It had uh, 13 codes in it. Uh, You had to short the computer out to get the codes out. There was no reader. It was a paper clip. And uh, if it gave you a code 13, it meant the computer thought everything was fine, even though the damn car didn't run worth the crap. And then you go into 1986, OBD-1, almost every car in the United States, uh, at least everyone sold then, had a computer system. Uh, You go into 1992, OBD-2 is coming out, much more sophisticated. And today's car has, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 times the computing power that the moon lander had that landed on the moon. I know that, um, I don't know, five years ago, some of the cars coming out had 25 separate computer systems. In them, and you have uh, uh, mode six, and you know just all of these diagnostic terms and things that you need to learn, and equipment you need to buy in order to work on the car, and you got to have the education. Here's one of the problems: as a as a business owner, if I'm making, I don't know, let's say I'm making a hundred thousand dollars a year on my shop, and I'm going to hire this young person. I need them to start producing right away. I need them to pay for themselves because I don't have spare money laying around to support this person for five years while they learn all this stuff. And I will tell you, Carm, you need two things to be successful at anything. Uh, One of those things is knowledge. You got to have knowledge. You got to understand the system, how the system works. The second thing you have to have is experience. 
Now, you can gain knowledge by reading books, watching YouTube, uh, you know, uh, paying attention to your trainer, but you can't gain experience by anything other than putting your hands in the in the dirt and getting them dirty. Hey, Carm here. Now, when it comes to technical and management training, nothing beats the caliber of classes and expert trainers that Apex puts together for Repair Shop HQ. And that's because a panel of shop owners selects the best training that will drive your business forward. Training is geared toward shop owners, service advisors, and technicians. Technical classes will include ADAS and calibrations, hybrid and electrical vehicle case studies, CAN bus diagnostics, electrical diagnosis, and using current probes to diagnose drivability dilemmas. On the management side, you'll learn marketing strategies that work, employee retention practices, building a culture that employees will embrace, and more. Expert trainers in this year's lineup include Mike Reynolds, John Thornton, Eric Ziegler, Greg Bunch, Bill Haas, and Kim and Brian Walker. Repair Shop HQ training will take place at Apex November 1st through the 3rd in Las Vegas. To learn more, go to aapexshow.com slash training. Hey, aren't you tired of being tired after a crazy day at the shop? Take the frustration out of your work by speeding up the processes that bog you down. Start a repair order based on a canned job. Check. Order parts from a menu. That includes every supplier within seconds. Check. Now send all that information with photos or videos to a customer via a live chat on their phone. What? No, I'm not kidding. Check that box. Get an approval faster than ever so you don't tie up a bay for hours. Check. Hey, it gets even better. Once they see the summary of work they need, next time they ask you to fix one or two more items today. Boom, that bill goes up and you make more. Then, get this, they pay you on their phone before they even pick up their car. This could be your life, my friend. Talk to my friends at GetShopware.com. I had the chance this past weekend to be hanging out with some training, and had a chance to just chat with some trainers. And the big revelation that I took out of that was the word practice. And you're saying what experience is all about. Yeah. Well, where do you get all that experience? Because I was practicing my craft, be it inside the bay, be it being a leader, be it a service advisor. You do it over and over again. You get the best advice from certain people and you make it your own and you practice. There's something kind of cool about all that because the more you practice, the better you get. The famous golfer Jack Nicholas said, uh, it's amazing. The more I practice, the luckier I become. And so now, especially with the sophistication of today's vehicles, you can go to school for five years and learn how the systems work. But until you get your hands dirty and get your hands on those cars, and until you make a couple of mistakes, you're not going to know what you need to know, period. Mistakes are a part of everything. Life, learning, becoming good at uh, being a father, becoming good at being a husband, becoming good at being a technician, uh, becoming good at being a business owner. I like to say I'm a really good coach consultant because I have made probably more mistakes than anybody else I know. And uh, some of them I had to make more than once uh, before I learned the lesson. I heard a thing about mistakes this weekend. It says, don't make mistakes that are bigger than the business. No, you can't. You have to understand your boundaries, but you also have to allow people in your company to make mistakes that are not bigger than the business, right? So back to the 20 bucks an hour. First of all, we are under charging as an industry. 
I did a calculator. I do a lot of different calculators. One of the things, that's how my mind works. And I took a shop in 1980 that was $70 an hour. And I raised the rate by 3% until this year. If we had done that, a 3% increase in our rates, and 3% is the typical inflation over a 75-year period, we would have been over $235 an hour as an industry. And I think there was a survey just done by AutoLeak that they did that basically pointed out that the average rate today in the industry is probably somewhere about 125 So we are easily at half of what we should be. And I think there's another statement to be made here, Carm. If the shops that do, cannot afford to do training and buy equipment are not going to exist in our industry five years from now. They just aren't. And so we need to charge more only if we're going to pay more to have money for equipment and uh, education for our staff so we can keep up with this proliferation of computer and computer systems and electric cars and hybrid cars and ADOS. Oh, there it is. See, it only takes me a minute when I'm not thinking about it. It landed. I saw it hovering up there. Yeah, and then you saw it come in because my eyes sparkled. <laughs> so what if everybody, everybody, and I mean the guy that's charging $70 an hour and the guy that's charging 180 what if we went up 20 bucks an hour? Would we lose a bunch of customers? Well, I've seen it happen time and time again where my clients have gone up $15, $20, $30 an hour. And in fact, we never lost the customers that we didn't need to lose anyway. So I want, I, I want the owner of the shop every owner to go up 20 bucks an hour. And it has nothing to do with pay the coach or this is just another coach saying raise your labor rates or whatever. I want you to take $10 of that and pay it to that technician. I don't care if it's a master technician. Those guys, for what they do, they're not making enough money, period. You know, and every single shop owner that has a good ATEC in their shop says to themselves, this guy is amazing or this gal is amazing and uh, they're not paid enough. I wish I could pay them more. Now, let's take that guy that's going to come in or that gal that's going to come in, that, that starter, and instead of paying them, I don't know, $18 an hour, let's pay them $26 an hour. Can't take the whole 10 and give it to the employee because you got to cover FICA and feud and workers' comp and you know your load. So you're going to end up taking 70% or so, about 7 bucks an hour, giving it to your tax. And then you're going to use the rest on your FICA and feud and workers' comp, the other three bucks an hour. Now, we still have $10 an hour left over, right? I still got that extra 10 bucks. I still don't want the shop owner to take that money. Most shops don't have the kind of benefits in their business that would be attractive to the average person today. I ran across the shop the other day, three, four months ago, that wasn't even paying a week's vacation to their employees. They said, I let them take a week off, but I don't pay them anything. This is also a shop that, that netted, uh, I don't know, $29,000 last year. It's, you know, an underperforming business. Believe it or not, we've already really made a, a huge financial difference in that business. But And now the employees have vacation pay. We need medical. We need dental. We need a good retirement plan. We need tools. We need education as a part of our position in an automotive business. I'm not just talking about tax. I'm talking about service advisors, shop owners, foremen, managers. They need that education um, in our industry. It's changing so 
dramatically and so rapidly, we have to have it. I want you to take $5 of the 10 that's left and put it into a benefit uh, program and structure. And if you already have one, add to it, reinforce it, make it better, okay? And that leaves us with $5 left per hour. Now, if every shop in the United States raised their rates in Canada and they took five bucks an hour and put it into a nonprofit company designed to do three things. Number one, market to the industry, to the parents and to the kids out there, starting in elementary school, that this is a great place to work. It's challenging. You can get paid well. You can have a great life. You can raise a family. Uh, you can travel. You can do what you want to do. And what you make and earn in this business will not only support that, but give you fulfillment in life. Um, there is so much opportunity here. It's there, but not a lot of it is taken advantage of, frankly. Let me stop you for a moment. The, the shop that wasn't making a lot of money who's listening to this and said, well, you know, I'm $70, $80 an hour and I got to go up 20 to 100 First excuse is I'll lose customers. We know that is not true. I've been doing this a long time. How many times have I done an interview? Cecil, you've heard it uh, 150 times. I've heard it at least 150, 300 times. It's never affected my business only in a positive way. But I get all the benefits and everything, but we still have to, it's not going to put enough profit to sustain the business. And I think it goes, you don't talk about this in your, in your white paper, but there, it's still about the sustaining profitability of the company. They've got to get into a networking of 20 group. They've got to get up and above. And I think this whole join an association and get involved in the industry is going to catapult someone up and benefit from that increase. What we know from our statistical data, and we go back, uh, when we bring a business in to our organization, we have a dashboard that will go back 37 months and pull data for 37 months. And then from then on, we look at the data and we know that shops that are involved with coaching, consulting, training, and I mean as for business, whether it's a 20s group or a one-on-one -on -one or just I go to three or four educational classes. Hell, just going to CARM's uh, Remarkable Results and listening to some of the business podcasts and some of the stuff that the Institute does that's out there for free uh, greatly improves the profitability of the businesses. The businesses that are getting the best return, the best profits on their company. And believe it or not, those businesses also have huge rave reviews from their customers are the businesses that are involved in some type of education, business education routinely. Even though we don't talk about that in the white paper, I will tell you that there's another white paper that basically says the fact that we are not all a part of an association and that we don't have some minimum standards in our industry uh, for education is insane right? And it's keeping our industry back. And even though those guys that are going to listen to this and say, Cecil's full of crap and that's never going to happen. And I don't want to be involved in that. They would be better off being a part of that. Frankly, they'd, they'd have a much more secure business. They'd have better profits. They'd have a better uh, a business. And we know it from all of the data. Don't get me wrong. There's a rule. I don't even know what it is. It's not Pareto's law, but there's another law out there. 
And it basically says something like 15% of the people in any given thing, profession or whatever, will excel. They're going to be at the top. That's just who they are. There's another 15% or so that are going to be at the bottom. And then in the middle, there's about 70% that are going to be in the middle. So there are some shops out there right now that have never done any training and they knock it out of the park. But that's not the rule. That's the exception. And whether you believe it or not, most of us are not exceptional. I'm in so support of that number. I've always been playing with 20 top, 20 bottom, and 60 in the middle. But however you look at it, the concept is accurate and it's right. And only a few in that middle group, to your point, are exceptional because they're waking up to the story. Is is this a hobby? Is it a real business? Cecil, how many times have I had coaches on saying, this extended family that you employ, are they not as important as your real family? And so what are you doing to grow your real family, the weddings and the college and everything that they that you need to provide as a father, as a mother? And then you, you come to work and you can't see everything that you must do for this other place that... This group allows me to do this for my family. So why would I not take the kind of advice you're passing out and do something with it? I have a new client that came on board about three months ago. And so we were having a meeting last night and in talking to him, he was telling me how terrible his day had been. He had a terrible day. It was a terrible day. He had a comeback. A wheel fell off of a car. It was his car he worked on. Cost him $1,200. When we talked, he said, I'm like seven bucks in the hole for the day. I said, okay, let's, let me, let me ask you a question. You know, how many cars did you work on today? And how many cars? He said, well, we've got, we had eight cars. I said, okay, out of the eight cars, how many of those cars really got inspected? Well, we didn't do this one because it was just a a state safety. And we didn't do this one because it was just a tire. And uh, of the eight, there were four legitimate cars that should have been inspected. And they were all, over eight years old and had more than 100,000 miles. And I was like, okay, of those four, how many of those got inspected? And you know how many got inspected? None. The average apparatus for the day was $179. And when digging into the reason for that, it's not because we don't know we should inspect the car. It's not because we don't believe that the car needs to be inspected. It's because he was afraid to tell the customer what the car needed. That if he told them they need to spend $1,000 on their car, they wouldn't like him anymore. And he's got four kids at home, one with special needs. And you're having this conversation with him. And I'm saying, I grew up in a family, a shop family. My dad had a shop. He wasn't a very educated man. He was a brilliant man, but not very educated. Fantastic technician. As a kid, there was always food on the table. You know, we didn't eat uh, filet mignon. But we had hamburger and hamburger helper and mashed potatoes and bread and, you know, all of the staples of the, you know, the 60s and 70s. And we always had a, a roof over our head and, and we never froze and we never have the additional things in life that I think my generation grew up not just wanting but needing. And I think the generations that we have today want them even worse. The Nike shoes to play basketball with when I was 18, 17 years old. The money to go to camp like the other kids. The things like that we did not have. And I did not have a father at home because he was always at the shop because that extra car always needed to be done 
because that was what was going to pay the bills tomorrow. Let's go back to, I want people to like me. I don't want to tell them what's really wrong with their car. Is discipline, accountability, self-confidence, where's the issue there? I think we have a an industry that there's still so many guys in the industry that do not have the self-esteem and they don't see themselves as having real value in the world. I'm just a mechanic. So just like my in-laws felt like you're substandard because you don't have a college education, I think we think we're substandard because we're not like that lawyer or that doctor. And I cannot tell you how much of a crap statement that is and that we have that in our heads because we literally deal with the thing that gives our customers the most freedom in their lives. It's their vehicle. And you know, if you don't fix those brakes right and somebody gets in an accident, people can die or be injured and have lifetime injuries because you didn't fix their car right. And you could uh, have a mom and her children stranded on the side of the road because you were afraid to tell them that they had an oil leak in the car and it was going to take $1,200 to fix it. It's not rational. You and I both know that. I think every coach in camp understands that. I just really wish that every single shop owner understands my job is not to tell people what they need as a as a technician service advisor. My job as a tech is to find out what's going on with that car and where that car is in its existence and what needs to make it exist longer. Is the purpose missing in the company to really know why they're there? Yeah, I think so. I really do because I think I'm there because at some point on entrepreneurial seizure. The fact is, if I do my business really well, of that $140 an hour as an owner, I might keep 20 or 28 of those dollars, not even 100. So when I had this entrepreneurial fit, there were three things that gave it to me, that primarily. Number one, I can make more money if it's me. In other words, there's no middleman and I can get paid the whole 140. Uh, number two, I'm going to be more in control of my life. So I don't have to work as hard because if I want to take Wednesday afternoon off, I can take Wednesday afternoon off because I'm the owner, uh, more freedom, uh, more control. But there are these things that make us think if I own the place, I'll make all the money. I'll be in control of my life. And number three, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Uh, I won't have a boss who's a jerk telling me when I have to show up and when I ha- what I have to do, et cetera. And then I go into my business not understanding business, not understanding that I have this overhead and that I got to pay the rent and the utilities and whatever else. It's, it's all on my back and my neck. And any mistake that's made, I'm paying for, not my tech, the shop owner. So that $1,200 mistake that was made in the shop the other day, that's not coming out of a tech's butt. That's coming out of the shop owner's butt. And the funny thing is, is that six months in, I realized a couple of things wait a minute, there isn't more money. And by the way, there isn't, not because there isn't, there isn't because I don't know how to run the business properly. And there isn't more freedom because now I can't take Wednesdays off because I got to get those cars done and pay that rent or otherwise I'm not going to have a place to do my job. That's why he was upset. He's not running a good business. He realizes that his bottom line after all the hard work is so minimal that it even detracted more from it. It was almost like, oh my God, there's there's that deep, dark black hole and it's getting deeper. And you don't have one boss anymore. Now you have a bunch of bosses because every one of your customers is your boss in a way. There are things that you can do in your business and they're not hard to make more money, to have more freedom, to have less bosses. 
But most shop owners, they never get to the point where they say, okay, this is what I really want out of my business. And by the way, this is also what my business really needs to deliver to that customer. And if there's a customer out there that expects something more than that, they're not a good fit for me. It's not like they're bad people or I'm a bad person. It's just that they're not a fit for my shop. And so there are these things that we can do. What percentage of the industry is really, is it 20% that's, that's working with coaches and consultants and getting training and understands how to really run their business? Or is it less? I've always played the math. Cecil, I'm like you. I got to do some math more often than not, because that's how I, I was a spreadsheet guy. Oh, I got, I love to make pro formas. What if pro formas, you know, for the next five years, I used to love to do that. I got some cool stuff for you to look at, buddy. When next time, I got some really cool stuff. I would love to see it. But okay, to your point, we have to promote the value of the industry that this skilled trade that you used to look at, hold your hand up and say, I don't want to know anything about it. Just talk to the hand is so much more white lab coat, so much more high tech, so much more, I think, satisfying as a technician to... Find the problem. I mean, I talk to so many techs that just love what they do. It's a satisfying job. And they're constantly learning. They're so immersed in these future vehicles. But how does that last $5 thing work? It's question one. I don't know if it's an association or an organization or a nonprofit, but we need something that will... And we're looking at that. So there are several coaches that are looking at what's the nonprofit. And it needs to literally carry out three things. And then there's one more level to this. So the nonprofit needs to market to moms and dads and kids and say, this is not what you think it is. This is so much more. But by the way, we also then as an industry have to be so much more. You can't go have that experience in a shop that wants to hire you for 15 bucks and then gets pissed off at you because your second oil change, you make a mistake. Even when you first start out, you need to have a career that will allow you to have a life. Not, I have to bring my lunch every single day and I can't ever go see a movie because I can't afford that. I couldn't go on a date because I don't get paid enough. We have to have a life. So we need whatever the organization is to market. And I mean, we need to be out there. It's so funny. I'm home watching TV with my wife in an hour there are 15 Dupixent commercials. I mean, there's 15 food commercials. Uh, Mike Lindell, oh my God, I'm so tired of hearing that guy's voice. But that sells, like it or not, that sells. We need to be out there talking about the benefits and the industry as a, a really great place to go. Now, that's part of it. The second part is we need to create scholarships and mentorship programs through this organization for young people who want to come in the industry. So now I'm bringing that person in while they're getting educated. They're also coming into my, my shop and I'm getting them a hands-on experience as well as the education. You know, for me, all of these tech schools, they're wonderful, except for one thing. When the guys come out of the tech school, they're really smart, but they don't know how to put their hands on a car. They just haven't had enough experience. And I'm selfish. So if you're not putting your five bucks in, then uh, you're not going to be in the, in the mentorship program. You, you don't get to have these brilliant young people come to your shops. The next thing, the third thing is not just having the scholarships and the mentorship programs, but now having the employment 
These are the opportunities for your, you students. We're going to get you employed in a good shop that's going to pay you well, that has good benefits and a, an environment where you can learn and become a master of what you do in this industry. And so those three things, the organization needs to be set up to do. And it's got to be a nonprofit because if it isn't, you know what happens. Guys are going to say, well, they're taking all my money and that guy's living a lifestyle because I'm paying my five bucks an hour in. It has to be an organization that is, that's a nonprofit. And there are a couple of organizations that are already out there trying to do some of this. The question is, can we adopt one or do we have to create one? Right. And that's kind of where we're at as a group of coaches and consultants at the moment. And then the fourth thing is that every single shop owner needs to go down to the local high school, junior high, elementary school and volunteer some of their time to go and talk about take a new car in and a computer and just bring the students in and show them what's there and and get them thinking about how interesting this career can be and how the future of this career can be. If we did those things, Carm, if we did all of that, first of all, think about five bucks an hour, 250,000 uh, shops, uh, 40 hours a week, average of say three guys in a shop. There's some one guy shops, there's some 10 guy shops. The millions maybe tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that could be spent on this. And if we don't do this, first of all, there isn't even a pool out there right now. There's a, there's a, there's some moisture in the air that might land on the ground. And by the way, the clouds are going to disappear and the vapor is going to disappear if we don't do something about it now, now. And we should have done this 10 years ago if we didn't want to be where we're at now. And we need to look 10 years down the road and decide do we want to have half the shops closed? Which, by the way, that might be really good for some of you guys, but it's not good for the industry. It's not good for the suppliers. It's not good for the customers. But that's what's going to happen if we don't do something now. With you, man. I had a dovetail on something you just said. In early September, I did an episode called Why Speak to Fifth Graders. Your friend Bill Haas was on. And Andy Fiffick and Craig Noel, and I got to tell you, they hit it out of the ballpark. It was an academy, and they talked about, and Andy Fiffick goes out all the time in, in the Cleveland area, and he says, Carm, you got to see the energy in these young people. He says, and then what I do is I go back to career day for the sixth graders and then the seventh, and I continue to work with them all the way up. Well, ironically, yesterday was our advisory committee meeting for the local college that I'm on. The new president of the college was there. He's got to get butts in the seats no matter what course the college offers. And he loves this very active advisory panel for automotive technology. Cecil, everything you're talking about, everything we talked about in the fifth grader thing, everything that we've ever been preaching about being involved with education, this skill trade, we had the teachers in the room. And here's the deal, and it's going to sum up this episode perfectly. Everybody's looking at each other and says, so how many times have we had this discussion? And our chairman finally said, guys, let's stop the discussion and get into the how. We got to do this. So we finally formed some committees. There's the doctor, the president of the college saying, I'm going to contribute. I got a marketing department. We're going to do this. And he says, if we have to equip a van and put stuff on it and go out to the schools, right? To your point. And I just sense a groundswell 
of people saying, if we don't do something, I think we're toast. We work with 170 shop owners through our company around the United States and Canada. Every shop owner I have needs a good technician, could use a good technician. Half those shop owners absolutely have to have a good technician or they're where it's costing them money. 10 or 20% of those guys, it's greatly affecting their bottom line. And here's the deal. 20 years ago, when I ran an ad, I had 25, 30 responses for a tech. And half of them were garbage. Maybe there was six really decent candidates in that pile. 10 years ago, I ran the same ad or an ad like it. And I ended up with 10 responses. And of the 10 responses, maybe there were two decent candidates. Today, I run an ad, and six months later, I have not had one decent candidate answer my ad. I'm not saying that personally. I'm saying that I currently have 20 to 40 shop owners that are constantly running ads that are not getting response. And there's a couple of guys in our industry who understood this and got this five years ago who have a lineup of people waiting to come to work for them, but their shops are exceptional and their pay is exceptional and the opportunity is exceptional for anyone that wants to come to work for them. For the majority of the shop owners out there, if we don't, Carm, we cannot rely on the colleges or the, uh, the trade schools to do this for us. We owe it to ourselves to get this done and get it done now. Here come the grads. I don't care if it's the high school co-op program that they don't want to go on to college if they want to find a place, or it's the two-year college. Some of them don't even have EV equipment to work on. And here we have a shop that's doing hybrids. We have to commit to understand that we're bringing in, if you will, a production apprentice, even though the guy feels he wants to be paid like a B-Tech. But it's our responsibility to take that rough piece of clay and do something with it. Stop not thinking that you have to build a training resume and a career path for everyone. I don't care if it's your A-tech or not. And that goes back. Listen, I'm paying you well. Here's what I need from you. You're coming to work for a family with a high culture. And how hard is it for people to not say, I got to turn myself and my business around and I got to do this? You can say whatever you want to say. I mean, you can literally say, it's not my problem. You can say, I'm only going to be in this industry for another five years. I'm going to ride it out with the guys I have. Whatever you decide to say, but all of that is crap. We owe it to our industry and ourselves to do this thing right. And frankly, I've been in this industry over 40 years. I love it. Uh, It's fed my family. It's uh, sent some of my kids to college, the ones that wanted to. I've gone on some really cool vacations and seen the world and done a lot of things. And I've been able to fill myself. I might not have done that somewhere else. And I might not have had the opportunity that I had here. There's a great opportunity, but we're blowing it. As an industry, we're blowing it, period. There was a study done based on decision-making and they did it on farmers. And the reason they did the study on farmers was because farmers have a real cycle. So when they're planting they're borrowing money, they're buying seed, they're, they're buying fertilizer. So there's a half the year, they're not making any money. They're not bringing anything in. 
And then they harvest. And when they harvest, they have, you know, all this money coming in. And so the, the study was about making uh, good financial decisions. And you want to know when the best financial decisions were made? Not when they were planting, not when they were broke. The best financial decisions were made when they had money in the bank. When we're broke, we don't make good decisions. You almost end up becoming conservative in how you spend because look at what it's taken to amass. You remember the lean times. We have shop owners that are making half a million dollars on an individual shop that's going to do, I don't know, 2 million, 2.2 million in sales that were losing money four years ago. And at this point in their lives, they're not thinking about how am I going to pay the bills? They're thinking about what's the next thing I can do that's going to help my people, that's going to, uh, you know, what's the next thing I can give my customers? You know, what's the next thing I can do for myself that's going to help myself? It is life-changing. That's why I do this, frankly. Do you think I do this just because it's so fun? I don't. Damn it. Pe dealing with people is hard. Convincing people to do the right thing is, it's hard. You know, having a conversation with a guy last night who is afraid to talk to his customers and say, look, this is what your car needs because he's afraid they won't like him. It's internally for me. I mean, my blood pressure is going up, you know, my tension, my nerves, everything, because he obviously doesn't understand what his job is and he doesn't understand how that affects his family, his business, his employees and his customers. Okay. So you get all fired up. Your blood pressure goes crazy. You're, you're a rocket. Boom. Fourth of July. There, but you do it after you hang up. And then you say, what the hell am I doing this for? Okay, if I know you, you're going to stop, think about it, sleep on it, and get up the next day and says, I got to fix this guy. And you come up with a plan on how to change attitude, perceptions, you know, self-confidence, self-assurance, all that stuff, right? It's something we do every day as, as coaches and consultants, because if you're not able to do that, you're not going to be good at what you do. Carm, I do this for the light bulb. That's what I do it for. Because when you see the light bulb come on in that guy's eyes, then you know it can change not only their life, but the lives of other people that they employ, that they deal with, that they're going to employ in the future, etc. And as a coach, you know that you're going to take your lowest of lows and figuring out how can I fix this guy and then the highest of highs when you get it done. I just wish that more people in our industry could see it. Carmen, you know, you and I, we've had this conversation with multiple other coaches. We got 10% of the industry really participating, really, you know, excelling, moving forward. How do we get to half of the other 90%? I mean, it would change the lives of everyone in our industry if we could just reach another 10,000 shops. Anyway, hey, uh, so we should have to cover this in the beginning, but you're having a conference in Orlando, tell us about it. Uh, we have a big summit where we're bringing in a lot of, of uh, professional speakers. We are uh, bringing in all of our clients. We hope to have about uh, 200 people there. Currently, we're about a quarter of the way there, but we just announced it the last three weeks. So this will be our annual summit for all of our clients. We actually have invited people that are not our clients because there's a great education. And the other thing is, these are great people that run great businesses. My dad taught me a lot of things. You know, work hard, Cecil, always be valuable to your employer. But one of the things he taught me was find people that are smarter than you and attach yourself to those people. These are shop owners that do it right. 
And meeting and interacting with these people are going to benefit you and your business dramatically. So yes, last day of January, first two days of February, you can find it at wearetheinstitute.com. It is the Institute Summit. Carm and uh, the Remarkable Results uh, podcast is going to be there. We got a lot of great things going on. I'm going to speak, but they've limited me to an hour, so I don't know what I'm going to do, Carm. All right, so you'll be nervous for a while, and then you'll you'll pick yourself up. No worries. Wait a minute. This is my company, and they they have limited me. They handcuffed me to the chair <laughs> to an hour. <laughs> I'm really working on something that I've never done before. I think it's going to be amazing, frankly. I'm very excited. Uh, this is our first one. We bought Arlo Training in 2021. Uh, it took a while to bring the two companies together and to get us focused right. We're there now. And uh, holy smokes, it's uh, expensive as all get out. So come. So it costs me less money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need you. So if, if somebody's not in the Institute you know, organization, can they just get on there? and They can. Okay, cool. There is limited space. I think when we get to 200, we're going to be, the hotel's only so big and et cetera. Banquet rooms, food. I mean, you got to live inside of a constraint. I get it. If you've ever been to anything that the Institute does, we eat well. Wow, this is my first. You're going to get 10 pounds, so you better diet before you go. Right after New Year's Eve, I will starve. (laughs) There you go. Just a little bit. Yeah, Cecil Bullard, Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Uh, a plan to solve the technician shortage. Uh, you got to get your hands on that white paper. It pretty much outlines it. And thanks for sharing it with us today. Thank you, Carmen. I'm ready to do another one on whatever you want to do. Power of profit. We're going to do it. I'll call you. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 